This is the Hungarian Politics Podcast for June 2nd, 2016. Glad you could join us for this week. I'm Steve Nelson, and this is the podcast that discusses the ins and outs of Hungarian politics every week. I hope my voice is a little better this time. I haven't been sick, but I think it's the crazy weather we've been having here in Budapest lately. In any case, you're not here to listen to me anyway, because we've got some fantastic guests on this week's show, and you should listen to them instead. In today's program, we're going to examine the controversy surrounding the foundations set up by the National Bank of Hungary and ponder the story's possible impact on the elections in 2018. Even if people don't go out to the streets to protest at the minute when uh, when the corruption scandal is happening, these things are building up and, and people might remember them when they go uh, to vote in 2018 as well. That's coming up later in the program. But first, the main news in Hungarian politics this week was the announcement by András Schiffer, founder and head of the opposition party Politics Can Be Different, or LMP, that he would be leaving politics for good. Schiffer made his announcement via an interview on news portal Index that was published on Tuesday, May 31st. Schiffer said that he would step down from the leadership of the party on the following day, give up his seat in Parliament on August 31st, and not run for re-election in the next cycle. Schiffer's announcement caught many political observers by surprise. A number of commentators immediately offered their opinions on his departure and the future of his party, LMP. Among the opinion pieces was a very impassioned essay by the well-known author and commentator, Gaspar Miklos Tamás, that appeared on May 31st on the news site HVG. That same day, I caught up with Mr. Tamás to ask him about his commentary and to talk a little bit about the political legacy that Andrés Schiffer will leave behind. Thanks for joining us today, Mr. Tamás. Not at all. You wrote an opinion piece in HVG on the departure of Andrés Schiffer from politics today, and it was a very, I would call it a very impassioned piece. In fact, reading it, I, I felt like almost as if someone had died. Sort of a political obituary. Mm-hmm. His political was... life is finished, and that calls for a funeral notice. Well, I mean, it almost seemed like it was a little bit extreme. I mean, first of all, LMP will continue, won't it? I mean, is is it really, is one person so emblematic that it really signals the death of, of an opposition? Well, not for the whole democratic opposition, I hope. Uh, nevertheless, it's a very, very ominous and bad sign, you know, because you see uh, Mr. Schiffer, uh, has been a maverick politician and an independent who, by all his faults and errors that everybody commits when in the uh, storm of public life, he represented a genuine passion uh, and a pure passion, if you wish, for public life And even if many have disliked him, 
his clear and apparent honesty and his commitment and his inflamed way of addressing public affairs had been one of the last genuine pieces of democratic politics in Hungary that is in its sickbed. So it's a, it is a very bad sign, you know. I don't know whether his party will or will not survive. Hmm. Actually, I don't think that it will. But I may be mistaken. But with the uninspiring center-left opposition and its inept and passive little parties and the triumphant march of the right both in office and outside it, don't hold a very great promise to great things to come. Mm. And, you know, in a situation where the majority of the population seems to be dissatisfied uh, with the um, work of its government, and most people think that uh, Hungary is on its way down and out. And most people who are dissatisfied with this regime are mostly bitter and passive and skeptical and don't think that there is a political solution to the permanent crisis that lasts since Mr. Orban has taken office. Let me ask you, in your piece, you mentioned that uh, Andras Schiffer is one of the only significant populist Hungarian politician. How do you consider Schiffer a populist? Well, in the original sense, not not in the sense in which it uh, has been used recently, when populist meant just a demagogue and a vulgarian. Uh, I don't mean that. Populist in the original sense of the word means politician who takes the side of the plebeians, uh, of the populace uh, against the ruling caste, the ruling classes, the ruling elites, including uh, the uh, officials and the professionals of public administration. And uh, he was a left populist, a genuine uh, a hater of all authority, which is very strange in the case of a lawyer who is bound to believe in, in, in legality and in obedience to laws and such like. But nevertheless, he was that. And, uh, and of course, being also a green politician, he represented the cause of uh, people opposed to many kinds of modernity that the rest of the political spectrum regards as irremediable, irreducible, unavoidable, mm. in short, as fate. One of the things that you pointed out in your piece is that you consider him the best representative in, in Parliament. Yes, you he know, was the best parliamentarian of these years. But, you know, I'm, I'm looking at some recent public opinion polls, and I see that LMP has 2%, 4%. I mean, I'm not sure what impact that Mr. Schiffer has had, even being, we could say, the best parliamentarian with a party that is uh, has such low support in society. 
Yes, he was more admired and respected than followed. And uh, and also, you know, hated by many because he was seen to have been an obstacle for the cooperation and cohesion of the opposition uh, left of the center, which he was. And so uh, respect for him and uh, for his quirks and for his manias and for his convictions uh, was easily reconcilable with people's politely declining to follow him. So he was a characteristic and important figure in political life, in the political life of Hungary, which doesn't mean that he was to be ever a savior or somebody who could have uh, defeated the present regime. That's, no, that's, I, I don't think that, and, and he couldn't have been. And, and actually, I very often disagreed with him, even in questions of political detail and on principle, but I still admired his pluck and his consequent and principled opposition in most cases. Not in all cases. He was not above a little cunning and uh, being a politician, a full-blooded politician. Uh, I was, for example, very much put out by his attitude in the refugee problem where he followed the line of the government and then, of course, the others would follow too when they saw that this was the trend in Europe and this was the overwhelming majority of the Hungarian population that agreed with it. And such like, such things have happened and I disagreed with him and I said that in a very uh, sharp fashion. I was always a critic of him too. But also I can admire a principled opponent, and in this case I mean opposed to my own principles, not to Mr. Orban. So he was quite an important figure uh, who stood for intellectual and moral independence, and he was strong-minded and inflexible politician in most ways, and so he elicited and merited uh, the uh, reluctant admiration of many who wouldn't mm. dream of voting for him. What about this theory that with Andras Schiffer no longer the head of LMP, then the LMP might be more willing to work with the other opposition parties and perhaps form a more united bloc um, against Fidesz in the next elections? I really have no idea. I don't know the non-Schiffer members of the leadership of this party very well, and this is, of course, one of his failings, that he was identified with this party to the detriment of his colleagues. So I don't really know very well the attitudes of the remaining leadership regarding this important problem and other similarly important problems. So this remains to be seen, but this may be academic, uh, because I don't think that the LMP without Mr. Schiffer will be an important force. So whether they uh, would be slightly closer to the rest of the opposition parties or not may be of uh, very small importance. Gaspar Miklos Tamás is a writer, philosopher, political commentator, and now he's been a guest on our podcast. 
Gashra Miklos, Tamash, thank you so much for being a guest today. We really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. One of the biggest political stories of the year so far has undoubtedly been the controversy surrounding the foundations set up by the National Bank of Hungary, or MNB as it's known in Hungarian. These foundations were actually set up in 2014 by the MNB and its governor, Gyurgy Matolci. But the story gained major media attention when Hungary's constitutional court ruled that the foundations must open up their finances to the public. The story is rather complex and is developing practically week by week. But fortunately, I managed to get a hold of Blanka Zoldi, a Hungarian freelance journalist based in Brussels, who writes about Hungary for BNE and Telenews, to give us the rundown on this story and how it may, or may not, have an impact on the 2018 elections. Blanka, thanks so much for joining us today. Hello, thanks for the opportunity. Can I ask you, how long have you been covering this story? Well, I've been covering the story for, for Intelinews since since the big thing broke out when the spending of the MMB foundations was made public. But obviously, as a journalist based in Hungary, I was also aware of, of what is happening with MMB and its foundations since, since they were founded. Can you give us an overview of the story? Well, the story started in 2014. Uh, when the Hungarian Central Bank uh, launched six foundations, six charitable foundations, which were called the Palace Athene Foundations. They were launched by giving them 250 billion forints. Uh, and basically for two years, we didn't really know anything about their spending because that was done mainly behind closed doors. For example, as a journalist, if you wanted to know something about what the money is spent on, then then you requested public information, then the foundations would tell you that, well, they cannot really provide you with that data. You had to go to court, and the court cases took so long that it didn't go to the public, actually. And on March, I think it was 1st of March, when there was a parliamentary law as well, uh, which suggested that all the foundation's money and spending should not be public information, actually. And this law was passed in one day, but finally it was rejected first by the president, Adar Janos, and he sent it to the Constitutional Court for a review. And the Constitutional Court decided that, well, the foundations manage public money, so the information about how they are used should be public. So after all this that process, the spending became public like uh, one month ago. And actually it was found out that much of the money uh, went to friends and family of the governor of the central bank and also to people close to the prime minister. You mentioned that these foundations were endowed with 250 billion forints. That's nearly $1 billion. So I think that's a... Um, incredibly large amount of money for a country like Hungary. Uh, why were these foundations set up in the first place? Well, it was said that they were set up for economic research and uh, to promote financial literacy in Hungary. And it was also said that the aim was to promote the unorthodox methods of Matolci, the governor of the central bank, who before between 2010 and 2013 served as a finance minister. So they wanted to spread this kind of knowledge 
the interesting thing about this was that they wanted to set up like schools, foundations, teachers who can talk about the students about these new kinds of unorthodox methods of matualchi. But the big criticism at that time in 2014 was that, as you said, this is a huge amount of money, 250 billion forints. You cannot really imagine as as an ordinary citizen, how, how big this amount is, actually. But if you think about it, that, for example, in 2014, the entire uh, higher education of Hungary in that year received less money from the national budget, then you can imagine how big this money actually was. What has been some of the criticism leveled at the MNB and the National Bank Governor, Gyurgy Mutolci, for setting up these foundations? Well... At the time of of launching the foundations, it was only known that it's a huge amount of money that we are talking about. That was that was one of the criticism. And later on, it was found out that actually the money was spent on buying like paintings, fine art, investing in luxurious buildings as well for the venue of these educational foundations. So that was something that the that the public didn't really like obviously, but we didn't know every detail of this pending. But for example, somehow you can know what uh, what kind of money is spent. For example, you can see like public procurement, or actually it was not a public procurement data, just some notes about the, the Hungarian Central Bank is buying, for example, handguns from this money. I mean, the foundations are buying handguns from this money, which was like quite surprising, but they said that well, they need this money for protecting their property against like new threats, for example, terrorism and the migrant crisis. So it was quite crazy. So this was from the public point of view. But later on, in last April, even the European Central Bank raised some criticisms about the foundation's pending, because they said that the central bank's foundations actually seem to be taking up some state tasks as well, which can can be counted as monetary financing, which is prohibited by the European Central Bank uh, rules as well. And actually, it also raised some concerns that they are investing in state bonds when they, well, in theory, couldn't finance the public sector. So this was actually just the beginning of the whole scandal that was later turning out to be even bigger. So the government said that they did not want to release the finances of these foundations. Actually, they suggested that the public money loses mm-hmm. its public nature. You couldn't really understand what they were talking about. And actually, you could see that was like a very weak argument as well. So that was what was in the law proposition that they finally accepted. And yes, exactly. They were fighting for that. And you mentioned that President Janos Hader did not agree with that argument. And the Constitutional Court didn't agree with it either, and therefore they were required to make the finances public. How has the opposition responded to this story since the finances became public? Well, they straight called for the resignation of Matuachi. They were really outraged about what has been found out because you could actually see that billions of foreigns were channeled, for example, to the cousin of Matuachi, to his bank. There was 500 million foreigns invested in a company called New Wave, which is publisher uh, of a Hungarian newspaper, online newspaper, Vs.hu, which was reportedly owned by Semerei Tamás, who is the cousin of Matuachi. So all these things adding up led to quite a big scandal 
But at the same time, while everybody was calling for the resignation of Matuachi, he seemed to be quite untouchable. Uh, what is more, actually, after the scandal, when finally the modified law was passed, all after the scandal, his uh, wage was doubled. So <laughs> it was exactly the opposite of a resignation. So the government has full faith in the National Bank governor, George Matolchi, and there's really no threat to his job or, or him resigning or leaving office or anything like that. Well, Orban said that earth and heaven would have to collide <laughs> to, lead to his resignation or to lose faith in him. I mean, uh, Matolchi is a really old ally of Orban and the government is really satisfied with the work that the central bank is doing. So most people suggest that there is really not a big chance that he would he would resign over this scandal. Blanca, how has the Hungarian public responded to this story since the finances became public about a month ago? Well, it's interesting. If you hear about this story, you, you can tell straight away that this is not a simple story. This is something that, that an ordinary citizen cannot really feel on his or her skin in everyday life. And actually, some people from the Fidesz party said that they're not really worried about this scandal because most of the people in Hungary don't even know what these foundations are. They didn't even hear about the foundations. And if you talk about uh, that 250 billion foreign was, was given to them, most of the people don't even know how much this 250 billion foreign is because it's just so far away from... It's such an unimaginably large amount. Yes, yes, exactly. So, so this is why they are not really concerned about what the outcome will be or how the public will react. And as far as I can say, people are obviously not happy that the public money was spent in this way. But you would say that, that it was not such a big scandal as, for example, when the government wanted to introduce the internet tax, which mm. was compared to this huge amount, what we are talking about now, it was like a really little, like uh, one euro per month to be paid by every citizen for the internet. But this is something that you can feel on your skin. And this is why many people protested against it. Blanca, you wrote a story on some recent developments. Can you tell us a little bit about what has happened and what is Ferida, the company that you wrote about in your article? Ferida is, is actually a company which was founded by one of the foundations of the central bank. It was founded in last October with a capital of 2 billion forints. But then this year it was topped up by 20 billion forints. So now it has 22 billion forints of capital, which it used for different kinds of investments. And a weekly in Hungary called Magyar Naranj asked for information about how Ferida invested its capital. And it was found out that Ferida invested already in one month or between April and May, 8.5 billion forints already in, in a portfolio. And the big story about it is that Ferida didn't really invest only in different international financial institutions or government bonds, but as well as conducted some really high risk investments, such as investing in Tesla Motors and Netflix as well, $1 million and half a million dollars in each of the company's bonds. I have one final question for you, Blanca, and I'm not sure if you or anyone can really answer this, but how much bigger can this story get? Is it possible that this story will have an influence on the elections in 2018? Well, I guess 2018 is still quite far away, and I'm not really sure how much the voters will remember what happened like two years back. 
especially in light that, that you can already see that the government is preparing already for the elections. For example, in next year's budget for 2017, they already announced that 2017 will be the year of tax reductions. So you can see that they have more and more moves in order to increase popularity. So that's a big question if these kinds of scandals will slowly build up and will have an effect on the outcome of the election or not. One analyst I talked with before, he said that, that these kind of corruption scandals act as a slow poison. So, for example, even if people don't go out to the streets to protest at the minute when, when the corruption scandal is happening, these things are building up and people might remember them when they go to vote in 2018 as well. Blanka Zodi is a freelance Hungarian journalist working in Brussels for IntelliNews, writing on Hungarian issues. Thank you for being on the podcast, and I hope we'll have you back again for an update on this very important story. Thank you very much. And that's our show for this week. Thanks so much to our two fantastic guests, Gaspar Miklos Tamash and Blanka Zoldi, for taking the time to talk to us this week. I'll put a link to Gaspar Tamash's commentary on Andras Schiffer that appeared in HVG in the post for this episode on our site. And you should follow Blanka Zoldi on Twitter at bzoldi. That's B-Z-O-L-D-I. And I'm on Twitter, too, at Nelson Stephen D., and you can share your thoughts with us by leaving a note through the contact link on our website, which is hungarianpolitics.com, or just send an email to info at hungarianpolitics.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, where you can also leave a glowing review for us too. We've got a really exciting show lined up next week, where we're going to examine the current refugee situation down south on the border with Serbia and listen to an interview with a representative from the UN's Refugee Agency. That's all coming up next week, so make sure you check it out. This show is produced by me, Steve Nelson. Our music is Retro Future Clean by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Thank you for downloading the show and listening to us. And make sure you check us out again next week at the Hungarian Politics Podcast. Mm-hmm.